The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's show of Dr. Carol's Couch. Um, I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We're going to be taking you inside the cockpit today with my guest, David Susi. He is the author of a new book called Why Planes Crash, An Accident Investigator's Fight for Safe Skies. And I thought this would be rather timely since a lot of people are planning on flying somewhere over the holidays um, as the summer is coming or the um, holiday weekends and so on, July 4th. And, um, and, and it's something that all of us um, think about, whether we are, have, an, have a trip imminent or not. Uh, certainly loved ones and friends are flying around uh, frequently. And, you know, what, what I always say, I, I, I find this so, um, well, I find it disturbing, actually, because I try to break people out of denial about terrorism. But what I find so interesting is that the only time that people seem to break out of their denial and acknowledge that, uh, oh, yes, there are terrorists who are still trying to kill us, even though uh, uh, Osama is dead, um, the is the TSA line, the security air check line. Um, oh yes, that's right. We have to take off our shoes. What a pain! Um, that's about as far as a lot of people go in terms of recognizing that we should be preparing ourselves more psychologically and physically for terrorism. But before 9/11, uh, there were a lot of people who had fear of flying, even without uh, thinking about planes crashing because of terrorists or without it being so, I mean, that isn't to say that there weren't other planes that, <laughs> that were downed by terrorists, but that, of course, made it all the um, more powerful. And, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, so, so whatever people had fear of flying beforehand, um, certainly that was heightened, and certainly a lot more uh, of us had fear of flying or at least anxiety while we were um, sitting in the plane or approaching the plane, if not uh, actually being able to label it fear of flying. But um, so, you know, and we certainly hear in the news things about air rage, passengers, seems to be more passengers, and that, of course, comes from this fear and being out of control. Uh, some people sit there in, in, <laughs> in stunned fright, and other people act out, especially when they've had something to drink. And so we have air age problems. And then we've heard about pilots doing all kinds of strange things lately. So <laughs> my guest today is going to tell you everything you want to know, but we're afraid to ask about what goes on in the cockpit and behind the scenes of the aviation industry. So welcome to the show, David. Thank you, Carol. It's a pleasure to be on. I appreciate that. 
Well, first, before we get into all of these interesting things that you found, and I do want to say also that um, David Susi is um, really a powerful man in this industry. He's a, a consultant to the Obama administration on airline safety management systems. He works with the um, Next Gen Interdepartmental Initiative in Congress. Um, the Department of Transportation, the Departments of Defense, Homeland Security, NASA. I mean, you're you're up there. <laughs> so what you have found, <laughs> what? It's more like down there, I would suppose. <laughs> well, what you have found is obviously uh, important, and uh, I know you're trying to reach the uh, ears of people who can make these changes. So before we get into all of that, I want to know, and I'm sure my listeners want to know, how you got on this path to be such uh, a passionate investigator into airline crashes and what goes on and how to make the skies safer because that isn't you know you don't grow up or or well most people don't grow up maybe you did um thinking that oh this is what I'm going to be so how did it all happen you know this you're on Dr. Carroll's couch <laughs> great well when i first started getting into aviation i've always loved airplanes and flying, and I wanted to be a pilot so desperately, mm. but I just didn't have the money to do it. So, so I convinced one of my rich uncles to pay for my uh, uh, mechanic school. So I went to mechanic school and learned yeah. how to be an airframe and power plant mechanic. And after I graduated from school, I realized that's really what my passion was, uh, was interested in the mechanics and the engineering and, and the safety management systems and that sort of thing. But it's really much more personal than that for me now because uh, I made a decision myself, a choice, that uh, that ended up, uh, I was an executive for a, a helicopter company. It was called Air Methods, which is now one of the leading, uh, started Flight for Life and Air Life uh, all over the country now. But back in 1984, 83, it really wasn't that prolific as it is now. But uh, that was, oh, uh Probably where I kicked off uh, my interest in safety was trying to keep these helicopters safe. And I have a real personal issue because we started small and I was a young executive making money. Everything was going well with the company. And the pilots kept coming up to me saying, you know, we're flying these aircraft at night, uh, landing and responding to emergency calls, picking up patients and flying them back. And there's this new thing called a wire strike Kit. And basically what it does is it mounts on the front of a helicopter like a pair of scissors. And when you, by mistake, you don't see a wire and you fly into a wire, it literally cuts a power line or a telephone line or whatever's in front of you, and it'll avoid the aircraft from crashing because mm. it won't get wrapped up in the helicopter plates. So uh, they kept coming to me and asking me and asking me. I was about 25 years old, 26, and I, I, I knew what return on investment was and return on equity was. But one thing I didn't understand, and most people still don't, is return on safety. Hmm. When do you make an investment in safety when you can't, really, you can't say, oh, I'm going to save lives with it? And at the time, we were a small company. We really didn't have the money to invest in these things. And so I, had, I made the choice at the time to say, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to buy that safety equipment. It's, uh, it, we've been safe so far. They put the little orange balls up there whenever there's wire, you know. So, so I didn't feel it. I didn't recognize it as being a risk, really, a, a significant risk to us. So this went on for two or three months, and and then on Christmas Eve, 1985, um, 
it was exactly 10,026 days ago because I know of it every single day of my life. Hmm. Um, but my good friend Mike Myers was a pilot up in Grand Junction, Colorado, and had taken two flight nurses up to the Four Corners area to help a, a woman who was in distress in pregnancy. And so they made the flight successfully. It was a windy, cold, icy night, but they made the flight successfully to the Four Corners area and delivered the baby fine. After the baby was delivered, they all got back into their helicopter, started to take off, and as they did, uh, the, there was a draft wind from behind in the helicopter, and the helicopter pitched forward, and the, hel- and the pilot couldn't get enough power to, to, to lift. And so it went right down the highway and right into the wire. And that wire um, is st- hard story for me to tell, so bear with me. Mm-hmm. You've got me on the couch. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. There's but, Kleenex uh, next to the couch. Okay. okay, I've got that. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so the wire did um, penetrate the windshield and, and uh, went into Mike Myers as a pilot in the front. The helicopter then hung for a moment and crashed onto the highway below. But uh, the two flight nurses were in critical care for weeks. Uh, one of them was released quickly, but the other wasn't. And Mike Myers was in critical care and survived for about another night or possibly two. Hmm. So, so my wife and I, I had a young ch- child, and we're here at Christmas Eve. We received the phone call. I go up, uh, and we, we go to the airport, get in our airplane, and fly up there with the owner of the, hel- of the company and meet Mike Myers. And, and it was clear to me, although it wasn't said or stated, that that he was dying um, because of a decision or a choice that I had made as an executive, hmm. Hmm. something I could have prevented, but I couldn't. I didn't. And uh, then, surely, the, the next morning, he did pass away. And, and I've, I've dealt with that my whole life. I, I've tried to figure out how, how could a person like me, I mean, a conscientious, safe, aware, intelligent, educated person, make that choice? Hmm. How does that happen? And, and then end up losing a good friend and, and uh, a, a tragic situation like that. So, what happened to the woman and the baby? Uh, they were fine. They weren't on board, actually. They were delivered at the, oh, they had a little hospital oh. there in the Four Corners area, and they and they were delivered fine, and everything was successful oh, there. So, so it was just the flight crew who was coming back on the helicopter, I see. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, they didn't actually pick them up. So but um, so that's that's driven me. That's my catalyst for safety and, and to reexamine the way that I think about risks and threats and, and what it, how, you, how do you see threats and risks and, and how do you deal with them once you do? And, or is all this stuff going on subconsciously? You see a threat and you respond to it or, you know, how do you think about those things? And so I, um, after that, I sold all my stock and, and well, actually we didn't have stock at the time, but I got out of the company and, and uh, tried to get away from that and joined the Federal Aviation Administration thinking that perhaps there, I could learn and, and, and teach and, and propagate the idea that people aren't thinking properly about the decisions and choices that they make and mm-hmm. that are causing accidents. And that's pretty much what the book is about. It's my memoirs. It starts with that and, and kind of leads you through um, my, my, my thought process. Well, that's quite an amazing story. Um... No wonder you you know you're so passionate about making sure that other people don't make similar mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, you just, I just one question. We're we're coming up to a break, but I just wanted to ask you. You were saying that you didn't have enough money to go to pilot school, but what about? Did you think of joining the Air Force? 
you know, I just wasn't that kind of person. That was that was in the seventies, and and uh, mm. I just didn't feel like I needed to. I was in that band where you where you couldn't be drafted, that band of age period. You know, uh-huh, so, uh-huh. <laughs> so I thought, yeah. And my older brother was in the military, and I, I just I was raised pretty independently, and I just didn't really feel comfortable about taking orders. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good reason not to uh, not right. to do that. Well. Um, Certainly, you know, uh, you talk about you talk about how a lot of times people blame uh, the pilot when a plane goes down, and how um, and how the FAA and the airlines want you to want you to blame the pilot because then it seems like oh well, if we get another pilot, then the planes will be safe. It's not that flying is dangerous, and that's a very good point, you know. Um, so when we come back, we can talk about that. Um, and there it is. <laughs> my guest, <laughs> my guest is David Susi. As you can tell, this is uh, going to be a very interesting hour. His book is "Why Planes Crash: An Accident Investigator's Fight for Safe Skies." So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. What would you do if you knew that you could not fail? The Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basile is a radio forum for some of the world's most influential people in the fields of health, wellness, and human potential. Dr. Pat brings together and introduces visionary scientists and futurists, environmentalists, educators, business leaders, inventors, filmmakers, authors, artists, mystics, and healers who inspire and support individual and collective growth and positive cultural shifts. This award-winning radio show empowers the listening community to be the change they want to see in the world. Tune in every Thursday. Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific for the Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basile, radio to thrive by. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman talking today, taking you inside the cockpit with my guest, David Susi, the author of a new book called Why Planes Crash, An Accident Investigator's 
fight for safe skies. And we heard in the first segment why he is that passionate about fighting for safe skies. You know, when you tell that story, as I'm sure you do with um, um, when you're trying to teach people to be safer, to do things, to not uh, to make the right decisions, that must have such an amazing, uh, must be so powerful as far as, you know, people wanting to believe what you have to say because you've been there. Mm-hmm. It gives people a reason to listen is how it was put to me last, <laughs> when I was doing a lecture at the um, uh, Transportation Safety Institute for the Department of Transportation, and the director there came up to me afterwards and he said, you know, you I've heard a lot of speeches and lectures, but that gives you a real reason to listen to you. you know? Yes, absolutely. Right? And and I think there's reasons for everything in the, this world, and perhaps that's the reason that Mike Myers um, is not in vain. His death is not in vain because yes. maybe that's what that's why I can use that to get people's attention. Yes, to save other people. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, well, let's talk about what I started mentioning before the break about. Um, when it really is pilot error and when it isn't, one of the we hear a number of stories when a plane goes down about what happens. I always feel <laughs> I always feel like they're not telling us the true story. And you know, of course, then they say, "Oh well, we have to find the black box," and it takes them forever to find the black box if they find it. And you know, in the meantime, the the public has kind of forgotten about that. <laughs> By the time they say they've found it or been able to open it or, and listen to it, um, I, I think they wait for the public to not be paying as much attention as we were when it first happened so that they can tell us whatever they want happened. Is that right? Well, I, I can see how you would think that, and, and it's possible, but I, I really don't think – I think that everybody in the FAA – is, is trying to get that information as quickly as possible in the NTSB. I, I think that it's if you've been on an accident investigation when you're in there, it, it does take a long time for these things to develop. Um, you know, what happens in a mere second in an airplane accident or a fraction of a second takes years sometimes to, to recreate. And so I, I see how that could be construed that way, but I think that more likely it's just a matter of how it takes that long to do it. Now, an important thing to bring up, though, you had mentioned about the pilot uh, error versus not pilot error and, and why the pilot's always blamed. And I think that that it starts with uh, the misconception of what causes an airplane accident. When we, and I did this for a lot of years in a lot of accidents, you go to the site and you try to figure out what happened. And the NTSB is there and the FAA is there and the manufacturers, Boeing or Airbus or whoever else is there. And what they're looking for is what we, we call the proximate cause. And the proximate cause is, is often pilot error because the proximate cause, like in an insurance policy, is who's the last person who could have prevented the accident before it happened. Mm-hmm. So often that is the pilot. You know, he's there. He's at the controls. So so if you think about that, you think about the Sioux City accident when the airplane lost an engine and and uh, and lost flight controls. You know, they, they the engine failed and it cut through all the flight controls. He had no control over that aircraft when he landed in Sioux City. But yet he was able to negotiate it around by using different throttles. And what he did was just magnificent to be able to figure out how to fly that airplane on the, on the flight. It's stuff they don't teach in the flight simulator. Mm. Yet he was able to figure out how to use the thrust and the torque and everything to get that airplane back around, lined it up on the runway. And then when he came in to land, 
the very last thing that happened is the aircraft rolled to one side and rolled over and crashed. Now, a lot of people survived that because of his efforts, but a lot of them didn't. So some would say, well, that's pilot error because they proved later that he could have landed that airplane. Hmm. But does that mean it's pilot error or does it mean that something else failed first? You know what I mean? So it's really tough to say when you think about what caused these situations, what happened back up the line. So I realized at one point that I'm looking in the wrong place for the causes of the accident. I'm looking at the site. Well, there's no answers there. there might, they might be able to tell me what, what the last thing that could have prevented the accident was, but it wouldn't tell me the decisions that were made, like the Buffalo accident up there where it was an icing had built up. And, and they blamed the pilot, this pilot who didn't recognize the, the ice on the wings as being a critical risk to the airplane and to the safety. And they, they, blamed, they said, well, it's her fault. She should have recognized that there was rime ice or this kind of ice or that kind of ice sooner and reacted to it. But if you look back up the chain, you realize their training program had been completely slashed. They, they had started sending DVDs out saying, here, go take this home and study it, pilots, because this will show you how to recognize icing. Oh, wow. There was no mentoring. There was no, well, there was some, you know, but it had been drastically reduced because because Colgan Air had had, had a, 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 a reduction in their income and they couldn't support what they were doing before. And the FAA approved this. But you have to remember, the FAA sets the minimum standard, not the highest standard, the minimum standard. So the safety record we've enjoyed over the last few years is, is due highly mostly because of the efforts of the airlines themselves, the FAA as well. I don't want to discredit the work they do. Um, but, but yet, it's, it's, uh, it's motivated by the airlines trying to do the right thing. Well, so, um, I mean, you know, the public, of course, didn't know that, that they were only getting DVDs. I mean, how, how are we supposed to protect ourselves? Should we be only flying on airlines that aren't in bankruptcy or airlines that seem to be doing the best financially? Or how, how do we make a choice? Well, you know, I, I, I don't want to make this sound like the one, two, threes of fly, flying safely because it's a very complicated thing. And there's hundreds and thousands and tens of thousands of people who have committed their lives to making airplane, airplane flights safe. And I get this question from people all the time that say, well, why would I, how could I possibly read your book? In fact, my mother said that to me <laughs> after I wrote this book. She said, David, you've written a book that I can't read because <laughs> I'm already afraid, afraid to fly. Oh, that's, so, a, that's a riot. But she <laughs> forced herself. You know, <laughs> she's a sweet lady, and she said, I'm going to just do it. And uh, so she did. And, and afterwards, she came back and she said, you know, I'm not afraid to fly anymore huh. because I didn't realize what went on in the FAA? Everybody thinks FAA is air traffic control, but there's so much more depth. The FAA Flight Standards Department, John De- John Allen's the director of that, and and he does a great job of making sure that the pilots are licensed properly, that the cer- the aircraft have the right certifications, that everything is going properly. He puts out a lot of fires. So I got to admit, there's problems, you know. <laughs> but but once you realize what goes on behind. It's not just simple. It's not like I had somebody come up to me the other day. Uh, you may want to cut this out of the program because 
It's too too late. This is live. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. All right. Anyway, he comes up to me and he says, you know how I think of airplanes? He said, you take a cigar tube made out of aluminum, you, you fill it up with kerosene, you put some passengers in there, you screw the end on, you light fuse, and you throw it through the air at almost the speed of sound. <laughs> that's kind of scary to think of it that way you know it's pressurized too so but but anyway so i told him i said yeah if it was that simple sure but but think about what goes on behind it and 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 how many people and how many safety mechanisms there are in the airplanes and what goes on behind it that's what when you read my book you learn that you see how much goes into it and that when there is an accident it's just it's so unlikely. You hear those statistics that say you're more likely to get hit by lightning on Thursday, the fourth Thursday of the month or whatever. <laughs> and, and that's true. I mean, those statistics are real. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, you know, they're, they're very, <laughs> it's amazing when you start comparing how safe you are on an airplane. But, but everybody always Compared to standing out in the rain on, <laughs> yeah, in a yeah. thunderstorm, in a lightning storm. Yeah. But, yeah, but what but, about but, that, what I was asking about? Um, I mean, I have thought this, that when you hear it hasn't been, or I haven't heard it so much recently, but there have been reports from time to time about various airlines um, going into bankruptcy or maybe being sold to another airline because of money problems and so on. Um, and I do think to myself, huh, you know, how maybe they've cut out, um, cut down, fired, uh, laid off some of their workforce that, whose job it is, is is to go around and inspect the planes. Well, yeah, and, and actually, uh, when creating your surveillance program as a safety inspector for the FAA, that's one of the questions that we ask. We ask ourselves, has something changed significantly within the airline? And that can be bankruptcy or it can be a, a, a number of different things. But let's just take that one for example. So the FAA has ways of monitoring that. We actually monitor the financials of the, of the airlines, whether they give them to us or not. And so the FAA is there to watch for that. So what happens is, yes, we, we have evidence of the fact that they, when airlines do that, they make cuts and they reduce their budgets and spending. But the FAA then recognizes that, hopefully, if everything works great, and they'll go in and will increase surveillance on those airlines that have that kind right. of a problem. So, so now it's not, it can't be 100%. The FAA only has three or 4,000 inspectors, and you're talking about, you know, 45 million flights a year. Mm. Uh, so it's, it's kind of hard to, to say that, you know, that we have enough manpower in the FAA to do all that. But, but nonetheless, it is monitored, it is watched, and it's, it's an important piece. Uh, as far as protecting yourself, is that kind of what the question is? Is there something you can do personally? Yes. Yeah, I, I think there are things you can do, and there are airline uh, safety websites to go to, and and there there you really can increase your odds, if you will. But um, if you look at NTSB.gov, uh, the FAA has some sites with statistics. But typically, what happens when people do that is they start scaring themselves, and yes, yes, and expanding out. You're, you you work inside people's heads. You know what that does. Yeah. Yes, makes people even more uh, more frightened than than they already were. Um, mm-hmm. You know, one of the I, I actually happen to be I I work um, part of the work that I do is as an expert witness, and I happen to be doing a case now uh, which involves a pilot of an airline who um, had had some psychological problems, and he was telling me about all of the stringent requirements that there are. 
um, to be to continue to be certified to fly for as a pilot. And one of the things that struck me was that apparently you're only allowed to be on certain medications, like there were four um, antidepressants that were okay, and if you are on anything else that isn't okay, I mean, that's not the way it works in psychiatry. It doesn't mean that if you're, it doesn't, that's not how you can tell if a person is safe to fly a plane if they're on only a certain number of antidepressants, for example. Uh, yeah, I think that the annual uh, physicals that they give, they just have a simple mention that says to the pilot, a question to the pilot, have you been taking these medications? Um, have you had anything that would indicate that you're having a psychosis or something like that? You know, I mean, that's an oversimplification, obviously, but, but nonetheless, they do not focus on the psychiatry of it. And, and of course... <laughs> Unless the person is psychotic, they would know to answer, no, I'm fine. <laughs> well, we need to take another break. My guest is David Susi. His book is Why Planes Crash, An Accident Investigator's Fight for Safe Skies. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships... Check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. Today we're talking about uh, airplanes, why they crash. We're going inside the cockpit with my guest, David Susi. That's the name of his book, Why Planes Crash and Accident Investigators Fight for Safe Skies. And before the break, we were talking about pilots and those who might be um, too dangerous to, to fly and those who aren't. And obviously, um, with whatever uh, policies the airlines have in place, they obviously miss some people 
because you were mentioning during the break about the JetBlue pilot, for example. So let's talk about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I had uh, written a little piece about that as well. I was asked to by the uh, American Society of Safety Engineers, and there's an article that they'd written about my comments. But what they're what I'm concerned about is that the training that the pilots get, they're, uh, they're constantly bombarded. If you think about what you go through in your own mind to be able to feel safe going into an airplane, and, and by the way, I, I really commend you on your, on your work in that area too, uh, Dr. Carroll, with your shrink on board. I love that. It's a great Well, thing. you know, I was thinking we should sell them together. Your book that frightens <laughs> That <laughs> makes people feel about uh, think about why planes crash, and then my um, I haven't mentioned this in a while on my show, so let me tell people when you go to my website, which I don't want you to do yet, I want you to continue to listen to us. Um, I a number of years ago, actually after nine eleven, I decided that um, because people are more frightened going up in the air, as I was saying at the beginning, this added to the fear of flying even for people who didn't have it before. And so I created what I called Shrink on Board. Um, it's a relaxation. It was originally a relaxation audio channel, and then I added video to it, and it was um, put in the uh, in-flight entertainment systems of some domestic airlines, starting with Delta and some foreign airlines. And um, and now, of course, you can I, I sell it to people um, for their own personal use now that we can bring gadgets on the plane um, you don't have to be dependent upon what the airline provides but you can listen to it yourself and it's basically a um, a, uh, a guided imagery I'm narrating it I created it and it is uh, to help you calm down to it has different uh, t- it takes you on a journey specifically um, I specifically created it for the planes for how people feel on planes and and so that you, <laughs> so that you get off the plane smiling and happy um, and so that you know that's sort of the antidote to um, to being on a plane and white knuckling it um, so thank you yes um, where were we <laughs> before I went off well, on I it? think we were talking yeah I think we were talking about the pilots and the reason I brought up your work is because I think it would be perfect if the pilots could listen to that when they're in the cockpit. <laughs> well, yes, unless it got you know. them so relaxed that, <laughs> <laughs> that, they're so, that they fall asleep again, yeah. Right. But, but no, I, I feel like the, the training uh, that they're given puts in crew in, entirely right now is to just basically suspect everybody. So you're, you're, you're thinking everybody's a terrorist when you walk in. You can imagine the kind mm. of anxiety that creates. Mm. And, and, and that incident and then the, the crew, the flight nurse, or then not the flight nurse, but the, uh, the, um, flight attendant who who kind of went wacky on some people not too long ago as well and and i have to suspect i know i know psychologist or psychiatrist myself but but i certainly do suspect that that training has a lot to do with that because you you have constant new people coming at you all the time and you have to suspect all of them of terrorism and well, it's that's a difficult true. place to be that's true. Um, I guess it would be good if they listened to this before they just be, before they started the flight. Um, there you go. But uh, but you know also though, don't you think that I mean the JetBlue? What did that turn out to be? I mean this is an, another example of how we that was in the news, and then I don't know what the upshot of it was. What what happened with that guy? Well, of course, he's taken off flight status, and he's still under evaluation, as far as I know. And I, and I have to admit, I haven't followed that very closely. But uh, I, I will do that, though, and find out. And, and 
I mean, you know, on the one hand, of course, you don't want people to be endangered. On the other hand, um, you want to be sensitive to people with mental illness. And, and sometimes, I mean, that's the, that's the hard part, that we were talking before the break about how people are just given this questionnaire, and if you want to hide the fact that you're crazy, <laughs> crazy as a bed bug, <laughs> um, you can, and you're not too crazy to, to know how to do that, you could do that and then not be asked for more details. Um, but, I mean, sometimes people, you know, mental illness, sometimes people may honestly not know that they are um, in the process of developing a mental illness and, and may honestly answer no that they haven't gotten any treatment, you know, um, and then some episode can happen. I mean, there usually are some warning signs, which means that, that pilots should be, should not just be asked to check things off, but should actually go through periodic face-to-face evaluations with a psychiatrist or a psychologist. And I think that's a good point. But I, I do also think that it, it's, I mean, you know more about this than I do, obviously, but, it, but can, you, it, can you say that there's a checklist that says, now this guy is perfectly sane and ready to go fly an airplane? I mean, it's, it, it's no. kind of hard to say that they're sane for deciding to do that in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> that's so. true. I mean, it's not going to be foolproof. Um, yeah. But, you know, to distinguish that guy, who I, I think, I mean, I don't know, I, I, I don't know the follow-up, but it seemed like, um, I mean, maybe he didn't, maybe he wasn't honest in answering those questions, but it seemed like maybe he did just have a breakdown that day, unfortunately. Yeah, it could be, and, and that's why it's so important. Okay, go ahead, I'm sorry. Well, and, and compared to, and I want your opinion on this, compared to the Egyptian pilot, um, some years back, who yelled um, Allah Akbar as the plane started crashing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and you kind and, of think that that's not necessarily, uh, that that didn't take him by surprise, that that yeah, wasn't but, a mental breakdown. Well, and I've got a, an interesting story about that. I've got a friend of mine who taught, who was a teacher at uh, United Airlines up here in the Denver. They have a big training facility, and they had some folks from that same culture come to come to the training center, and they were brand-new pilots, but they were trying to get them trained to fly larger airplanes. And so what you do in a flight simulator is you, you can take the engine off on the left end or ter- you know, turn it off on the left side and then turn it off on the right side and then put them in this horrible situation where five things are happening at once. And when that happens, uh, the culture is, and this happened to him, is, is the pilot closed his eyes, took his hands back, and said, you know, God will save me. Hmm. And and that's really what Allah Akbar means. It's it's you know God is good, God is greater than than all. And so what they're saying at the point is, if I'm intended to live, I will live. If I'm intended not to, I won't. So it's it's kind of this point at which they this guy had decided in the simulator to just say I give up, hmm. and God will save me. You know, and so it's kind of indicative of a, of a, uh, a culture that develops over time that may not be appropriate in that particular environment. You know. So it's an interesting position to be in. But I think, too, to point out, um, recognizing risk is something we have to really think about now. Uh, The Transportation Safety Institute has had me come in and speak to them a lot about how do we change the way we think about risk and threats. And because today we get into this pattern of thinking, well, if we do an ISO 9000 process or a Six Sigma process, we can eliminate all human interaction and thereby have automated cockpits that no matter what, the pilot can't make the wrong decision. Hmm. Well, 
will that work? Can you always say that engineering will fix a problem when a human could get involved? I don't think so. So, so we look at different ways of recognizing it and mitigating it. So when you look at what happened with the jet blue, blue pilot, for example, that guy went in a nutsy in there, but I'll, if you just look at the manual, it's the co-pilot, uh, the first officer had just looked in his manual. I doubt that it says in the manual, um, I'll tell you what you need to do. Uh, if, if your pilot goes crazy on you, <laughs> you need to get him out of the cockpit and then close the door and lock it. I don't think that's in his manual. Mm. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. but, but he was smart enough and aware and had enough training to know that there was and recognize that this guy was having a mental breakdown. And he knew then at that point to mitigate that problem, he had to get him out of the cockpit. So the true hero in that, all those passengers on there and whoever they would have crashed into on the ground need need to feel that they're saved by the the quick thinking of that co-pilot. And and that's the kind of thinking that we need to encourage and and teach and understand. Um, And and I call it repair your thinking. I'm writing another book now called Dare to Repair Your Thinking. Uh Uh-huh. And I'd like to consult with you on it, by the way. That was my little plug with you. (laughs) (laughs) Very clever, uh, doing it on air. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry about that. (laughs) Well, we'll talk about it when we get off. Um, So you are not really for... all this automation because because it do, it takes away from the pilot having to think like anybody could kind of be there and on autopilot. Absolutely, and in fact, it, it uh, as you know, if you don't use parts of your mind, if you feel that you're safe all the time, then the part of your mind that recognizes threats and and hazards is going to shut down. It's going to actually atrophy to a place where you won't recognize a threat when it does happen. And so that's my biggest fear about these auto, fully automated cockpits. And um, I was John Allen, the director of flight standards, just going up to give a lecture on that in the Transportation Safety Institute last month. And unfortunately, I didn't get to go see it. But this is a very big concern for the FAA right now. Well, so are people uh, tending to agree with you or disagree with you? I mean, are there a lot of people who do want to just make it automatic? Oh, yeah, there are. I mean, there's a lot of reasons to do that, but those reasons go back, as I said in the very first story I told you, those reasons go back to return on investment and return on equity. They don't go to to return on safety completely. I I think that they do. They do improve safety, but it has to be complemented with an equal balance of mental exercise and mental awareness of other things that could go wrong and not allow the pilots to drift into this complacent attitude of thinking, you know, I, I, I call it autopilots. Mm-hmm. You know, my automated cockpit is creating an autopilot <laughs> who just is going to just respond to things the way that the computer would do it. And I just don't think that's a healthy thing unless we have a good balance of, of some mental exercise. So to to go back to the first story, so in other words, you're saying that they, uh, the people who are really gung-ho for doing the autopilot, putting in these systems, um, are want to do it because it would be less expensive in the long run because there's less pilot training that has to go on? Well, not necessarily the training, but if you think about the ability to control the flight, the, the engines, if you, you know, if a pilot decides he wants to go a little bit faster, a little bit harder, a little bit steeper climb, he can give it more gas, and and it's going to cost them a lot of money. You know, if they climb at a certain rate, it'll be ten thousand dollars more than if they climb at the regular rate. I see. So so, th- so those kinds of things improve efficiencies. Huh. 
Wow. God, you know, this money situation is really uh, affecting so many so many people in so many industries. Well, we need to come back. We need to take a break. Uh, my guest is David Susi. Again, his book is Why Planes Crash, An Accident Investigator's Fight for Safe Skies. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, and we'll be right back. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, this show has been flying by. <laughs> couldn't, couldn't resist. We are talking, taking you inside the cockpit. With my guest, David Susi, his book is Why Planes Crash and Accident Investigators Fight for Safe Skies. And during the break, um, David, you were starting to talk about, and I didn't know about this, that, that the FAA has a dual role that is, I guess, uh, uh, conflict of interest. I, I see it that way. And, and the, the FAA, during the 17 years I was there, you could kind of feel it ebb and flow. But uh, there the issue is that the FAA is responsible for safety, for the safety of the airlines and its passengers and, and those that aren't flying as well. But they also have a role to promote aviation. And so then that started way back in 1958 during Act of 58 and even before that uh, in trying to get the Postal Service up and running, and they were tasked with doing that. And since that time, since the last, oh, I don't know, maybe 10 years or so, they've realized that that can create conflicts. And, and people within the FAA, some people within the FAA, have taken that to the extreme and, and tried to help the airlines and ended up with some some shortcuts on safety. So, so that's been resolved, but yet the culture still exists, the culture of trying to be cooperative, and, and um, which they need to do. Uh, but yet it's kind of like the, the traffic cop, uh, responsible for giving you a ticket, but yet he wants to make sure that you continue driving fast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. so it, it, it's kind of a, a, a mixed message. And I think the FAA, any culture takes a while, especially one of that size, takes a while to adapt. And I think the current uh, uh, management or administration of the FAA is doing a good job of trying to keep that going. But yet it, it's kind of like 
you know, I've been nice all this time and now I'm going to be harsh. Mm. And so now that, you know, they're just kind of like the pendulum has swung the other way and they're being a little too harsh. So they're trying to find that middle ground. And I think it's a real, real issue that, that I think uh, Congress and, and, uh, needs to address in, in the next authorization of the FAA and be real specific about what that role is, what they can and can't do. Yes, it's kind of like the fox guarding the hen house. Exactly. Exactly right. So, so what would you in our in our last uh, minutes here? Um, what what haven't we talked about that you think is really important to get in? Well, I think to kind of transcend what we've talked about a little bit is is to understand and recognize that this this idea of automated thinking and and uh, you know my decision to to just make a decision to not buy the safety equipment for those helicopters for Mike Myers. Uh, I think that that was based on a decision rather than a choice. I, I think that we hide behind decision-making because with decisions you can say, well, I can't do that, I can't do that, I can't do that, but I can do this, and the logic all leads me there. So it was easy for me to say, I can't buy those that safety equipment. But without looking at the, and, and analyzing saying, wait a minute, there's other things I could have done. I just didn't want to think that way. I didn't want to take personal responsibility for it. So I think the, 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 that's the biggest thing we can learn from this book and, and from others as well. If you look at um, AIG, the decisions that Bob Lewis made as the risk manager for AIG, those were decisions he made. He said, well, this doesn't make sense. You know, we, 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 we didn't anticipate that, uh, that, the, that the money was going to be gone, you know, or that the, in the financial environment was going to deteriorate to a place where we would be bankrupt. Well, wait a minute. You're the risk manager. Aren't you supposed to look at those mm. things? You know. So it's it's that kind of thinking where you rely on systemic thinking and say, this is the way it's supposed to be. And I, you know, all it is is institutionalized thinking. We think that if this happens, here's how we're going to respond. So I think we can all learn from that and expand our thinking out. Think of things differently and do different things and change our environment and don't get stuck in the rut of thinking that you're making decisions not every everything that you do impacts other people and when you make a choice to do something it's your choice it's inside you it's not a decision that was made by the factors that were involved mm. you can use those to influence yourself but but until you take personal responsibility as i did with with the death of mike myers i still feel responsible for his death and, and again that's 27 years ago but i still feel that way and it motivates me i use that to motivate me to teach others to think outside of what you think is the known or the normal, you know. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, that's very. That's a very philosophical uh, way of, of a very philosophical message to give people. Well, I've, I've been giving it a lot of thought, as you can tell. Yeah. <laughs> and and every accident that I've ever gone on, I, I see that as the common denominator for all. Accidents, whether it's an airplane accident, whether it's a uh, the crash of the financial sector, whether it's um, uh, you know the reverse nine one one problems that we're having in Colorado with, that aren't working, and people sit in their living room waiting to get the call from the government saying, "Oh, it's okay to leave now," and they're watching planes out their window. Yes, yes, you know, it's become. Just we, we've, I mean, in a sense, we've all become. Uh, um, transfixed by autopilot, you know, waiting for, waiting to hear the, hear someone else tell us what to do. Yeah. 
or tell us when it's dangerous. I mean, even in the World Trade Center, people waiting, some of the people were waiting to be told that they can go down the stairs or waiting to be told to get out of the building. That's an excellent point. And and I think that I, this book emphasizes that way of thinking that that maybe we're missing something, folks. Maybe there's a part of our brain that's that's evolving into little, you know, separate people. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how else to put that. Into separate. <laughs> remember into the separate wise thing. Remember what? the separate wise thing. Oh, separate people. Yes, yes. Yeah, yes, separate. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I want to make sure we have time for you to tell. First of all, um, uh, David was telling me that this book uh, has been on the bestseller list so far, um, as announced by the Denver Post. But um, it has it has just taken flight, so uh, <laughs> so we can. Um, it is likely to, especially during the summer, it is likely to uh, to soar. Oh, I'm going getting carried away with myself <laughs> to soar on bestseller lists and other places as well. So tell people how to get it. Uh, they can go to uh, Amazon. They can get through Amazon or Barnes and Noble, and uh, that's the best place to get it in the Midwest, or well, not Midwest, but the Colorado, Arizona areas. You can probably get it on the shelves at Barnes and Noble, but uh, it's easily obtained online, and it's on the Nook or whatever other kind of electronic device you have as well. You can download it as well. Okay, that's great, and. Um... Um, do you, well, I guess you, you also do a lot of flying because you go around talking at all these conferences, right? Yes, I do. And does it make it harder for you because you know what's going on in the cockpit and every other part of the plane? Uh, well, no, actually it makes it easier because I know that there's so many hundreds of thousands of men and women that are, that are devoting their life to safety and they understand what they're doing. My, my motivation here is to make sure that we continue to enjoy the amazing safety record we have here in the United States primarily, but also all over the world. And, and we just want to, it, it, it makes me comfortable to know that they're all working towards that mm. and that the, the, the small chance that it would happen uh, overrides any fear that I would have. But, but nonetheless, I keep a constant vigilance about me. When you're standing in line, look around, see who's around you, mm. understand your environment, what's going on. And and don't do silly things. And I've had so many people say, "Well, that liquid thing is just junk," because I've taken liquid through there a lot of times. Mm. I'm like, why would you do that? Mm. <laughs> mm. <laughs> See if you can so, get away with it. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, you want to push the envelope, I guess. But uh, yeah, so that's that's uh, probably. Well, you one know, of my that's out of fear with. too. That uh, I mean, so many of these behaviors are really people being afraid and trying to. Like in that case, act tough or see um, see what they can get away with, see whether they are really safe. You, you know, just uh, all. I mean, just like, just like the bars at the airport, airports have uh, gotten increased um, um, customers. You know, people are drinking more as another way, a bad way to uh, to try to cope with with fear. But um, but all of these things have been happening. Well, I think you know, I, I think it is true that. Um, that that we can feel a little safer after he- hearing you talk about this. Um, I never really thought about all the people who were out there trying to make sure that things were safe. So uh, thank you very much. Again, my guest is David Susi. His book is Why Planes Crash, An Accident Investigator's Fight for Safe Skies. 
So thank you very much for being on the show, and thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 